0: St. Derby. One of my brother-in-laws is a little bit um, alternative, you could say, and uh, he has this game that he plays. So what happens is it's called metaphysical hide and seek. And I think he made it up, or it could be something he nicked from somewhere strange. And basically, you get a group of people together, and one person has to, in their imagination, choose a hiding place. Okay? Uh, it could be somewhere in the past or the present or the future. It could be somewhere fictional or real. And then everybody else has to guess where that person is. So you could be hiding, I don't know, you could be hiding in Cinderella's shoe. You could be hiding behind Abraham Lincoln's podium when he gives a speech. You could be hiding um, in an episode of Futurama. I don't know where you are. And depending on how good you are of thinking up places and how good you are of asking the questions... That game can take quite a long time. Now for some of us this morning, we're beginning a series on the book of Philippians. And for some of us, that's going to feel like a game of metaphysical hide and seek. We're thinking, oh my goodness, what is Philippians? Where is Philippians? Who is Philippians? introduction into that book. And then we're going to go into the first 11 verses. So there'll be a bit of an intro, a bit of a kind of looking at those first 11 verses. And... If you have your phone on you, um, I would like you to take out your phone, if you've got it on you. And then I would like you to go to your Google Maps, or if you're an iPhone user, bless you, um, go to uh, your equivalent of that. And I would like you to go and hover over somewhere around the Greece-Bulgaria region. It may test your geography a little bit. And I would like you to type in, once you're kind of hovering over that area, I'd like you to type in Philip with one L. I can't imagine why we're doing this series. <laughs> Thanks, Phil. <laughs> don't know. Um, and then type in Philip, and then type in I-P-P-I. So you should have the word Philippi. And hopefully, if your phone is anything like mine, you may well get some kind of... It may hone into some little city on the kind of the edge of... Let's have a look. Shall we see where it goes for the next slide? There we go. Can you see that big grey arrow? Kind of slightly west of Turkey, Greece. That's where we're looking at. That's where we're looking at. I don't know if your phone's found it. It might have found some Philippi Hotel. Mine also looked up that as well. But actually, this is where we're talking about. Okay? Paul, this guy Paul, who used to persecute the church, met Jesus... And then he went from persecuting to planting churches. We didn't make that up in Derby. We didn't the HTB group didn't make that up. Church has been planting churches since the very beginning. And so we're talking about this kind of place here that's the church. It's the first church on European soil. Do you see what's happened? It's come up from Israel. It's gone up through what we would think of as Turkey now. They'd have thought of A- as Asia. Gone across, 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 and ended up there. And in Acts 16, we find Paul meeting this lady who deals in purple cloth. This lady called Lydia. Big up the women. The first European convert. Incredible lady. That's how the church starts. Paul and Silas get thrown into prison. And then what happens is they end up converting this Philippian jailer and they baptise the whole family. Big up him for baptism. Um, but no, it's just incredible. Um, that's how the church starts. So this is the kind of the, the church we're talking about. And Paul was writing some point between 50 AD and 63 AD, depending on who you read. He was in prison, probably in Rome, although there are other possibilities. And he's writing to these guys. And so it's after Jesus has died and come back to life. It's in this season of the Bible, because the Bible's a big book, and someone's thinking, oh my goodness, where is this? This city was founded by Alexander the Great's dad. I don't know how much you know about him, a guy called Philip of Macedon. It was a Roman colony. These guys were really proud of their Roman citizenship. Lots of kind of soldiers ended up living here, and we find out later on, Paul uses this imagery of citizenship. It's a Roman colony. And so with all of that in your mind, some of you are like, I don't care. But it just helps us to kind of think where that is. If you could now, if you've got your phone still out, or if you have a Bible near you, if you could turn to Philippians. If you don't know where that is, the contents page is really good. If you want a Bible, if you are new to church this morning, if somebody's dragged you along and you are thinking, oh, I don't have a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible. We really do believe reading this thing will change your life. And there's some over there. I'll give you one at the end of the service if you would like one. And we turn to Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, I thank my God every time I remember you, in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you, since I have you in my heart, whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel. All of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Another thing I might not have mentioned. Do you notice that Paul says he's in chains? He's writing from being in prison somewhere. And it's Paul and Timothy, it starts, doesn't it? They're right into this church in Philippi. The church that they planted, the first one in European soil. Do you notice how he starts this? He says, I'm a servant, we're servants. Or maybe you could translate it, slaves of Christ Jesus. But to you, you're the holy people in Philippi. Do you see that humility of Paul? Sometimes Paul gets a bad rep. He gets a kind of, people think of him as a misogynist and this kind of controlling type of guy. See this humility at the beginning of this letter. It's just incredible. Do you see else? what else comes out just at this very beginning bit? He writes to the holy people together with the overseers and deacons. This church hasn't existed for very long. And yet already there's a structure. They've got overseers, or you could call them bishops maybe. They've got deacons. They've got people kind of leading this church together. Right from the off, they set that up. And do you know what comes across most as I read this? Paul is so... Sometimes when Paul writes a letter, he can be a little bit harsher to the people he writes to, but not with the Philippians. He loves them. One of the things I love doing is encouraging and walking with people as they come to faith in Jesus. Just that early days. I love seeing them stepping out. I get even more excited when I see that happening with them often than I see God God doing stuff with me. And a few years ago, um, a few years ago we, we had the real privilege of investing into a bunch of young people. And just this last September, one of these young people ended up going off to train to be a vicar in the same place that I trained to be a vicar just a few years ago. Do you know what? I remember sitting with him as he gave his life to Jesus in the church I grew up in about 10 years ago. He's now training to be a vicar. I was so excited when he got through. Another friend of mine, um, we've known him again, he was in our youth group, and he, he was a bit rebellious as a teenager, And I have to be honest, I said I wouldn't take him to this thing called Soul Survivor, this kind of youth camp thing, a bit like Focus. I said, I'm not touching you with a barge pole. We can't take you there. I didn't quite use that language towards him. But that was what I was thinking. Do you know what? Now this guy's working in the Met Police, trying to work out how he lives for Jesus in a regular job, trying to work out what that looks like. I am so proud of this guy. And I look at them and I'm like, my heart fills with pride. And I know it's not just about me. Lots of people have invested in them. But Rachel and I have had the privilege of investing in these people. And do you know what? I see this heart with Paul. It just overflows. In my prayers, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. I have you in my heart. You share God's grace with me. I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And then he prays they might grow in faith and knowledge and wisdom. Do you know, if you want an image for kind of what this looks like, imagine a spiritual father who is so proud of his kids. He's writing to them going, I am so proud of you, thank you, thank you. Keep going, keep going, I'm praying for you. And in fact, if I had to coin a phrase that might describe the Philippians and Paul's relationship with them, I might coin the phrase, authentic community that is Christ-centered. That's what I think they're modelling. Paul is passionate about the Philippians. He prays for the Philippians. He partners with the Philippians. As I said, when Rachel and I were closer to 20 than we are to 40 um, now, we used to lead this youth group called 3DUP. And do you know what? It was just... Wonderful meeting with them. We we would get together. We would lead them. We would disciple them. We would equip them. I remember those late night phone calls from young people when perhaps they had a little bit too much to drink and were scared to go home to their parents. I remember walking around. Pro, um, not Pride Park St. James's Park and uh, Green Park and I had a list of names of all these young people and I, it, was in, it was kind of in the middle of the working day and I would pray for them week by week saying God would you do stuff with them God would you bless that person would you call out the gift of prophecy would you equip them for teaching would you encourage them in their schools just walking around praying for them every week saying God will you do it will you do it will you do it just incredible to see what happened with them. And we, and we used to get together with some of these young people who would lead the small groups that we had. And as we got together with them, we would pray with them and say, God, would you stir something up in them? Would you, abound, would you cause their love to abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight? Would they be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ? Or words, something like that. And do you know what? We had the privilege of seeing this group grow, We had the privilege of seeing them go deep with Jesus. We had the privilege of seeing lives changed. And that's what I see with Paul and the Philippians. So what does this authentic community look like? There's a couple of Ps I think we can use. Passionate and partnership. Passionate and partnership. The Bishop of Kensington, a guy called Graham uh, Graham Tomlin, he's a strong relationship with HTB, and um, he wrote a book called The Provocative Church. And he basically writes about how the church, we as church, should live a life together that is provocative to those around it. He says, Christ-like behaviour provoking a question. He means that as church, as we live together as community, we should challenge, provoke and attract people who are not yet part of us. In our culture at the moment, loneliness is a huge issue. Mental health issues are increasing, and I know for many of us, those those things are things that we would own for ourselves as well. The writer and speaker Jordan Peterson speaks about how actually in the West, we've lost a meaning, and we've replaced it with this word nihilism, but kind of purposelessness and meaninglessness. So actually, it shouldn't be that difficult as a church to be a provocative church, to live a life that looks provocative. So what do we see with Paul? Well, with passion for the Philippians, he genuinely loves them. And what would it look like for us as worms to be a passionate people? Well, we had the worship thing, didn't we? So we know that part of our passion is directed upwards towards God as a response to what God has done for us in Jesus. But actually, it's more than that. It's passion passed out sideways to one another. It's about caring for one another. It's about finding the person as they're sitting on their own um, on a Sunday morning. The person that's walked in who's looking lost. The person who, when you, that you ask them how you are, we don't just jump on to the next person, but we really ask them how you are. And I, I feel convicted. Of, as I wrote this, I thought, actually, Andy, you know, sometimes you're too quick to jump to the next person. It's about being vulnerable with one another, about our weaknesses and our struggles. Could you imagine a church, WERB, so passionate for one another? that everybody here felt loved, and the people outside, this, outside of our church said, do you see how St. Warburg's loves one another? Somebody said something about that once before. So passion. But we see another P, we see partnership. So authentic community looks like partnership. You can translate it sharing in or fellowship. This past week, one of our students, David Stewart, wrote a, a blog about, um, which was saying, not just about saying, I will pray for you, but about meeting one another's practical needs. And for the Philippians, that meant giving financially to Paul. It meant sending somebody to him, Epaphroditus, to send with him money and a gift to look after Paul while he was in prison. They cared for him. It cost them something to have partnership. And guys, you know what? I'm so proud of St. Warburg's over this last year and a half. As I look out, I know that there are people who serve behind the scenes. Last week, one person showed up early. They said, is there anything I can do to help? I said, you know, would you mind cleaning the toilets? They just put the gloves on and went and cleaned. Nobody knows who they were, apart from me. They just got on and did it. I know people that turn up midweek and they'll put out the drinks they put on the urn, just behind the scenes. I know that people here are meeting one another during the week for coffee and just encouraging them. They're meeting early before work. I know people have given financial gifts to people that are in need. I know people are giving lifts to people uh, when they need to get to somewhere. And that people are befriending people when they need friendship because they're lonely. I know, and all I know is probably a fraction of what's going on. So, Wurbs, can I just say, well done? Can I encourage us as church and say, well done for what you're doing? It's so good when we hear those little stories. And I know lots of it goes unseen, but Jesus sees it, so be encouraged. But, of course, there's no perfect church. We don't always get it right but we're praying that in this partnership and passion, a world outside might see us living differently. Do you know what? This isn't new. There's a story a guy called Rodney Stark, and he says the willingness of Christians to care for others was put on dramatic problems. He said pagans tried to avoid all contact with the afflicted, often casting the living into gutters. Christians, on the other hand, nursed the sick, even though some died doing so, Christians were also visible and valuable during the frequent natural and social disasters. Do you know what, even reached the pagan empire, emperor, a guy called Julian. He famously noted that followers of the way, which were Christians, support not only their poor, but ours as well. The Romans were like, do you know what, they're not just caring for the Christian poor, they're caring for our poor. We don't even follow their God, but they're caring for them. That sounds like a transformed city and beyond to me. Imagine our council, our colleagues, our contemporaries saying that about the church in Derby, and I know some of them do. I know some of them do. It's not just words. Can you imagine though if they said that about us? So Paul and the Philippians they model authentic community. But actually, another thing that comes across is the Christ-centeredness of this letter. Paul mentions God six times in the opening 11 verses. He mentions Jesus or Christ or Christ Jesus seven times in these opening 11 verses. You see, this isn't just community. In our, in our culture, there's a danger that we idolize community. We use it for marketing, don't we? There's this Danish idea of higgy or hoogie or something. I can't even pronounce. But it kind of have people gathering around a table and with a, an amazing kind of scene behind them, just having authentic community hanging out. They use it to market stuff. There's a danger we make community an idol. But actually, it's community rooted in Jesus. And the great theologian, and I've spoken about him before, a guy called Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he stood up to the Nazis. He was killed because he stood up to them. He wrote lots about community. And he said this, Christian community is not an ideal we have to realize, but rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. The more clearly we learn to recognize that the ground and strength and promise of all our community is in Jesus Christ alone, the more calmly we learn to think about our community and pray and hope for it. You see, this isn't community for community's sake. This is community rooted in, from, and of God in Christ. And in Paul, we see this, the centrality of Jesus. And how do we see it? We see it in another P. We see it in his prayerfulness. You see in his letter, he thanks God for them. He prays for knowledge and wisdom. He prays for discernment they might might know between good and evil. He prays for the fruit of righteousness to be growing in them. You know that stuff, that kind of stuff that looks like Jesus in us, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of that stuff growing in their lives out of relationship with Jesus. And you know what? If you're struggling to know what to pray for Werbs, how about we took this prayer that Paul prays. God, would you, would you grow that stuff in Wurbs' life? Would our love and our wisdom and our knowledge abound more and more? We could take that this week. We could pray for one another. Maybe on our lunch break. Maybe when we're out for coffee with somebody. Maybe just in the evening, we could take this prayer and pray, pray for one another. But you know what? I... Being kind of a vicar, people often ask me to pray for them. I need to be honest with you. There are times when people ask me to pray for them, and I forget. People come up to me. So if you come up to me at the end, and, and, and I start typing an email to myself, it's not I'm being rude. It's being so I, I won't forget to pray for you. And can I encourage us that when we say we're going to pray for people, note it down, put it up on our mirrors, put it on our laptops. I don't know where you look at most, but maybe the fridge or whatever. Whatever. Put it there so you remember to pray for those people this week maybe we could pray for somebody right there and then this week uh, a great hero of the faith a guy called Michael Green died incredible evangelist um, amazing at telling people about Jesus and I read some of the, the comments the eulogies to him and some people said do you know what Michael Green was amazing he'd move as quickly from talking to you to praying for you in the middle of a conversation you'd be talking with him one moment And he would pray for you in another moment. Can I encourage us as we meet together, as we go for coffee, as we go for drinks, as we go to one another's houses for meals, that we could move as quickly for talking to somebody, to praying for them. That way we won't forget. Oh, can I just pray for you now about that so I don't forget? It's a good way to make sure we're prayerful like Paul was. And finally, Phil often uses the phrase... It's all about Jesus. Paul is Christ-centered. He greets them in Jesus. He reminds them of it will end with Jesus. His affection for them comes from Jesus. Their holiness flows out of Jesus. This is all about Jesus. And so for this authentic community at WORBS, this passion, this partnership, this prayer, flow out of Jesus. Now, it may be that you're new to church this morning and you're sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, Andy's set the bar really high. How on earth can we do that? That sounds really hard. It is really hard. And there's only one person that's ever managed this. There's only one person that's managed to model this prayer and passion and partnership. It was Jesus. And do you know what? when we mess up, when we don't make the mark, when we fail, when we sin, Jesus took that on himself on the cross. That's why we make such a big deal out of the cross. Jesus lived it, and then out of that we receive forgiveness and mercy. But not only that, we receive the power to go and live these Jesus-shaped lives. See, for Christians, it's not about what we do, it's about what Jesus has already done. It's not a do, it's a done. And then all that we kind of, as we work this out, it flows out of that the response to what Jesus has done is authentic community, passion and partnership. It's Christ-centeredness in prayer. And what a response that is. An authentic community, which is Christ-centered, that plays its part in transforming the city and beyond. And guys, you know what? That's only the first 11 verses of this book. This spiritual father instructing and encouraging these people. So I'm going to pray for us that it doesn't just remain up here, but actually it works its way down into our hearts and out into our hands as we go about this week.